We love that, don't we? But let me ask you this. What is too big for your God? We love to hear that, and we love to know the power, the might, the awesomeness of our God. But what is it in our life that becomes too big for him? It happens very easily. And again, I talked about this last week. And if you got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to continue in this. Excuse me if my voice goes in and out here. I have been trying to fight off some allergies and cold and stuff. But um, we talked last week, and I, and I shared with you a couple of approaches that we can take and have that we do sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, towards our spiritual life. Approaches or views as to how we see things. And there's this, what we call the bottom-up view. The bottom-up view is when we look at and see our circumstances, our sin, our sorrow, our pain, all of the, the things that God isn't doing, and we look at all those things, and then we project those things onto God. We look from the bottom at all these things, and we see God in light of those things. And then there's the top-down approach where we take God's word, we take what the Holy Spirit reveals to our hearts, we take the truth of God's word, and we stand on that truth, we believe that truth, we know that truth to be true, and therefore we fight to walk in this fight of faith that says, God, I'm going to see you first and foremost, and I'm going to project you in the truth of who you are onto all of these other circumstances in my life. Mary who we're talking about right now, Mary had a top-down approach. She obviously saw God. She saw God first and foremost in her life, and everything that she saw was in light of that. Mary had a top-down approach. She saw God, listen, she saw God as he is. Not as she wanted him to be. big difference. She saw God as he is. And so even now when we look at Mary, what do we see? We see a reflection of God. Because Mary chose to see God as he is, to stand on the truth of who he is and reflect him onto her circumstances. When you look at Mary, you don't see her circumstances. Most of us have never looked into some of the things that I've been talking about about Mary. I keep hearing this over and over and over again. I never thought of Mary that way. I never thought of her going through that way. I never thought. And listen, we don't, just because we don't see that in Mary, she reflects the Lord, who he is. Many of us, we take our circumstances, we take our feelings, we take our pains, we take the difficulties, we take the sin in our life, we take the sorrows in our life, and we take those things and we put them first and foremost in our life, and then what we do is we reflect them onto God. So as many of us as Christians, when, God, when people look at us, what do they see? They see first and foremost a reflection of all of the sin and the sorrows and the pain and the agony and all of the things that we truly are going through. That's the reflection that we show. We, we, we reflect those things onto God. And church, listen, even in the Christian community today, we judge God according to how we feel. If we feel good, then God's good. If we don't feel good, God must not be good. We judge God by how we feel. Mary, she didn't do that. You know what Mary did? Mary judges God by who he is. Not how she wanted him to be. Not how, she judged God by who he is. And therefore, in her most difficult time, and I'm telling you, she was in a very difficult time. I'm not judging anybody by what they're going through in life, but I would dare to say that what Mary is going through at this moment was probably more difficult than what most of us or any of us are going through in this moment of our life. She was going through something really hard, really difficult, yet she's not worrying. She's worshiping. She's worshiping God. And I want to read this scripture, and then we're going to take the time over the next few weeks to break it down, to go through it and look at what it is that is going on in Mary here. Because I think, I find this to be totally amazing. So let's read this. Let's just go through the whole thing, verses 46 through 56. 
And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty of their thrones from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, that it is alive and it is active. I thank you that your word is able, Lord, to discern and to separate in us what is of our spirit, what is of our flesh, what is of you and what is of us. God, I pray that today you would separate that, that your word would bring forth truth. And help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word. Help us, Lord God, to receive what you have today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So I, I'm amazed as I'm reading through this and thinking about all of the things that's going on in Mary's life and all the things that are happening, that in her most difficult time, when she's going through a, a, one of the most difficult things she'll ever go through, Mary is describing God. She's, she's reflecting Him. She's singing in this whole time. She's singing about these attributes of God. She's one after another after another just talking about who God is and what he's doing. Listen, what Mary is talking about in the midst of all this, she comes up with this song, and she's talking about who God is, who he is, not who she is. Now, again, there's a, may sound like a, Small difference, but it's huge. What is it that your life is set to reflect? Is your life reflecting who he is or who you are? Now, I want you to remember something, I, because this is important. I want you to remember that, that Mary probably, most likely, in that day and in that age, that Mary, being a young female from a poor little town, a little tiny town probably was totally illiterate. She, she probably could not read. Most women in that day, most women from small towns in that day, they were not taught to read. And so she probably was illiterate. So listen, you know what she was doing? She was listening when her pastor read scripture in church. She was paying attention when the scriptures were opened and when they were being read in the synagogue. But, and so she committed them to memory. But I think there's more than just that here. This is a little girl. This is a 12, 13-year-old girl that's coming. I think that what's coming out of her is more than just her memory, more than just her head knowledge. I think there's something that's happening in her heart, something going on in her life that's causing her to want to just reflect on the goodness of God, what God is. She has chosen in her life to have a top-down look at her spiritual life, to who God is, and to take who God is and to take what he's done, who he is, and let that be what she lives for. Let that be the light that I live in. She says, who is God? And that's my truth. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live in that. And from this little girl, we're going to learn some really important stuff. It's amazing. This little girl is 12, 13 years old, and we're going to learn some theology. We're going to learn some doctrine. God's going to take a 12, 13-year-old, poor, illiterate, little pregnant girl and teach you something about himself. Come on, isn't that just amazing? I mean, God wants to share with you something important. I find in these verses, as I'm reading through them and breaking them down, going over them and, and just praying through these scriptures, there's 11 verses here. And inside of 11 verses, I find at least 17 attributes of God. 17 things that this little girl teaches us and shares with us and shows us about God. 
This little girl is a theological wonder. This little girl is a worshiper. This little girl is totally and completely amazing. And she wants to teach us something. She doesn't want to teach you about her. She wants to teach you about him. Because that's where her heart is. That's where her mind is. She knows, listen, she knows who God is. Do you know who God is? She trusts in Scripture. She trusts in the Word. She trusts in the truth. Do you trust in that? Do you trust in God's Word in your life? You know how we can tell that that's true for her? Because when she should be worrying, we find her worshiping. 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 This little girl, this teenage girl, pregnant, unmarried, poor, can't read. Her life has totally been turned upside down. The script she had, the plan she had, all the things that she had heart's desires for, all the things that she was going to do, all that stuff in her life was completely undone. Her Now the certainty of her future became totally uncertain. Everything in her life was turned upside down, and she's worshiping God. Amen. Something amazing about her. And I want to break this down and take a look at it, and I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you with the words of a 13-year-old. Do you know God? She's going to tell us who he is. First thing we learn from her, in verse 46, we learn that in Mary's life that God is Lord. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What that means is her God He's her Lord. And to be her Lord, that means this. He's totally in charge. He's Lord. He is the Lord. That means that her God, he's in charge. He's in charge of everything. He is God. He is her Lord. That means when he says go, she says okay. When he says stop, she says okay. When he says I'll do this, I want you to do this, she says I'll do it. Whatever it is, he's Lord. He's in charge. Listen, her God is Lord. Is your God Lord? Is he Lord? Is he above all else? Is he able to tell you whatever he wants to tell you? And you say, yes, sir, yes, God, yes, Lord. See, sometimes we don't want to take God as he is. We want, to, we want God to become what we want him to be so that he'll do what we want. And God says, no, I'm Lord. And Mary understands this. And for Mary, that means that he is above all else. He is above all other kings. He is above all other kingdoms. He is above Satan. He is above demons. He is above religion. He is above her comfort. He is above her own will. Come on. He is her Lord. He is God. He is Yahweh, church. He is above everyone and everything else. There is no one above him. And when we've come to the understanding like Mary that he truly is Lord, that brings great comfort to us. It has to. I mean, look at Mary. She looks at her future and she has to wonder, what's going to happen? What's going to happen with my husband? I don't even know if Joseph's going to be around when I get back. I don't know what's going to happen. And what about my reputation? God, what have you done to my reputation? My family, I don't know if they're going to stand with me through this or not. I don't know if they believe me. And how am I going to feed this child? God, how am I going to raise God? And, and instead of all that, you know what she's saying? She says, my Lord is in charge. My Lord is in charge. My Lord is in charge, and I trust him. See, I think it's imperative that we understand who God is. 
that, you know, again, just because we choose to say he's my Lord or not doesn't mean he's not Lord. He is who he says he is. He is the God Almighty. He, he is God. Come on, amen? amen? But listen, when we understand who God is, truly in our heart, when we understand who God is, that will change who we are. Listen, has the God in your life changed who you are? Because when you change, when, when God, you know who God is, Jesus the Christ, God, when you know him as God in your life, it will change who you are. And when it changes who you are, it will change what you do. Listen, church, the gospel is not you change what you do. You do this, you do that, you do this, and you do that, and then God will accept you, and you'll be right with God, and that will change your heart. No, you come to an understanding of who God is. That changes our heart, and when we understand who he is, the change in us changes our behavior. It changes who we are, which changes how we live. That's what him as Lord will do in our life. It's so easy, though, to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. When your marriage is good, your finances are good, your job is going well, your bank account looks well. When things are going good, it's easy to say, oh, Jesus Christ is Lord. What about when things aren't going so well? What about things in, when things in life are difficult? What about when there's difficulty? What about when our future is uncertain like Mary's future was uncertain? What about then? Isn't it easy how all of the sudden when we don't see things going the way we want them to or things get difficult, all of a sudden isn't it easy to start going, well, 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 I don't know, God. I don't know if I, if I don't know if I trust you in this. I don't know if I believe you can do that. I don't know, God. I, I, I just, and you know what happens in that moment? It's like that, but you know what happens? All of a sudden, worry becomes Lord. All of a sudden, finances are Lord. They begin to dictate to us what we do. They begin to dictate what we are. All of a sudden, reputation is Lord. All of a sudden, our well-being is Lord. All of a sudden, our comfort is Lord. All of a sudden, my will is Lord. And you know what Mary says? No. My God is Lord. He is Lord. Whatever he has, whatever he wants, whatever he says, that's what I will receive. Amen? Is Jesus your Lord? Number two, I told you, she's going to teach you some stuff. She's going to help us today. She is. Mary's going to just totally bless us. This little girl, 2,000 some odd years later, she sent a blessing for us. Come on, Amen? Number two, she says, God is Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, you know, there's a lot of religions, cults, that say that Mary, or people, that say, well, Mary was sinless. She had to have been sinless. There may be some of you that, grow, that were raised up being taught that, that Mary had to have been sinless. That's the only way that the sinless baby could be born was if he came from the sinless Mary. And Mary must have been sinless as well. I want you to know, Mary was not sinless. Come on, amen? amen. Mary wasn't sinless. You know how I know that? Because she said she needs a Savior. Come on, if you're sinless, you don't need a savior. You don't need someone to rescue you. You've already been rescued. You're already perfect in the sight of God. Mary needs a savior just like you and I need a savior. Mary was a sinner just like you and I are sinners. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, that's what the word of God is doing. All throughout the Old Testament, God is showing us, listen, God is showing us by revealing himself that you have no hope of being 
rescued from the sin in your life. There is no way you can get out. There is no way you'll ever get out. You are stuck in darkness. There is no way out. There is no hope. You are doomed and destined to an eternity apart from God. You can't get out. And then God sends the Redeemer. He sends Jesus Christ into the bleak and dark gloominess of this world. And what's he come to do? He comes to be your Savior. He came to save you. Savior means rescuer, deliverer. It means the hero. Come on, you know what makes a good movie today? A good movie is when everything in the world is upside down and everything's dark and everything's gloomy and there looks like there is no way out. Everything is black. Everything is hopeless. There's no way out. But boom, the hero comes in and everybody starts to cheer. Yay! And the hero comes in and he moves into an impossible situation and helps them out. He's the hero. Do you know what? The Bible is a story telling us about the dark bleakness of the world in which we live, where there is no hope, there is no way out. And then God sends his only begotten son to pierce the darkness and to bring light into the world. And he comes in here to redeem us. He comes in to come into human history. And the Bible is the story of God coming into the flesh in human history, coming into the darkest of times that our world would know, and to bring light. And in a moment, he comes to be our our hero. He is the Savior. He is Redeemer. And without Him, there is no hope. There are not multiple ways to heaven. There's one way. And Jesus says, I am that way. I am that life. I am that truth. There is no other way except through me to the Father. Jesus is Savior. And Mary's saying He's her Savior. Her Savior. Think about it. Her Savior would ultimately be her son. He was, he was born into this world. He, Jesus was born. He came into this world, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. He never sinned. He never fell. He lived without sin. And this son, this sinless son, would ultimately die for the sins of his mother. And he would be resurrected to life for the life of his mother. He was her savior. Church, is he your savior? You see, if he's not, you'll never be good enough. You'll never find another way. Jesus is the way. He's the only hope of eternal life that we have. And without him, you are hopeless. But Jesus came to save you from that. And if you'll put your trust in him, it's a gift, the gift of salvation. He will come. He will save you. Have you called on him that way? He is Lord. He is Savior. Number three. He is omniscient. Omniscient means he knows everything. He's all-knowing. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And listen, this, I love this. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. We know what she's saying. She's saying, you know what? God has looked upon my life. He has looked into my life, and he knows everything. God knows everything. Listen, get this. She's saying, God knows that I'm young. She wasn't saying, oh, God must have made a mistake. The angel Gabriel, he was sent to come and minister to somebody this truth, but he accidentally found me, and it shouldn't have been me who was supposed to try to find somebody a little older than me. No, that's not what she says. She's saying, no, he knows that I'm young. Oh, the angel Gabriel, he, he, he made a left turn rather than a right turn, and he ended up in Nazareth. He was supposed to be in Jerusalem because... Mary's saying, but God knows that I'm poor. He didn't miss the rich person and end up in my poor little town. He knows that I'm poor. You know what? God knows. He knows in the situation. He knows that I'm pregnant. 
He knows that I don't have the resources that I need. He knows that I don't know what's going to happen. He knows that my reputation is going to be destroyed. He knows that my life is going to be difficult. He knows that my future is going to be unknown and complicated. He knows it all. She's saying he knows it all. Listen, church, this is where your view of God is of the utmost importance. This is where you understanding about him is totally important. Listen, is he all-knowing? Listen, did God send Jesus Christ into the world to be your personal genie? To come fix all the things you don't like and to come undo all the things you did wrong and to come and to bring you a million dollars and to come and to take away everything that you don't like? Did he come to do the personal work of all the things you don't like? Or did he come to be God? Listen, is he your genie or is he your God? You see, a genie does what you say when you say it. Oh, he has the power to do it. God tells us what to do, tells us how to do it, tells us when to do it because he knows that that's what's best. You know, there's some people who think that all religions basically teach the same thing. You know, all roads lead to heaven. I, I want to tell you, that is not true. No, they don't, no, they don't, no, they don't, no, they don't, no, they don't. They don't all teach the same things. This, think about this. Pantheism, pantheonism, uh, uh, all of our modern day spiritualities, the new age movement, all of these different things. What do they do? They, God is not a person. God is a force. God, God is not a person. He's, he's a force inside of a crystal or inside of a tree. And he's a force that doesn't really pay attention to you. He doesn't really care about you. He gives you little tricks and tips as to how you can tap into that force. And if you do this and you do that, then you can tap into that force. And then you'll be endowed with that force, endowed with that power, endowed with something from on high. But God's not paying, that God isn't paying attention to you. And you see what's different is our God is a personal God. Our God is not a force. He's alive. He's living. He's personal. He thinks. He feels. He speaks. He loves. He knows. Amen. He's not a force. Listen, he knows how many hairs are on each and every one of your heads. He knows the very makeup of your DNA. He knows the fingerprint that you have. He knows, listen, he knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart, even when you don't. He knows the number of days you have on the earth. Church, he knows. And knowing all of that, he pays attention. He's paying attention to you right now. There are, you know what, think about it. There are a lot of people in our world, aren't there? There are a lot of people that have been in our world in the past, you know, six, 8,000 years. There's gonna be a lot of people for however long the Lord shall tarry, a lot of people in our world. Do you know that every, not a single one of them did God not know by name? He knows you by name. He knows you by your name. He knows you by the fingerprint on your finger that he made distinct from anybody else. And he pays, he pays attention to every circumstance of your life. And his father, he's attentive to all of the details of his sons and daughters. He's a God who pays attention. And that's what Mary's saying. Mary says, Mary's saying, God pays attention to me. Why would she think that? Listen, nobody else paid attention to Mary. No, I mean, think about it. She's from Nazareth. 
What good thing comes from Nazareth? This was a, a, a place where she was looked down upon because of where she lived. She was, she was profiled. She was from Nazareth. She wasn't from Jerusalem. Mary was single. She wasn't married. To be important, you had to be married. She was young. She didn't, she didn't have the respect of the elders. Mary was poor. She wasn't rich. Nobody looked on her. But you know what? Nonetheless, you know what Mary says? Mary says, God knows me. Oh, nobody else may, but God knows me, and God loves me, and God pays attention to me, and God knows my needs. Do you believe that? You know, if you do, you will sleep differently at night, knowing that God is paying attention watching over you. You know, I'm reading through this, and, and with, with all the things going on in our culture today, I, I find it amazing that with what's going on in Mary, Mary starts this whole thing off, this whole song, she starts it off saying, God is my Lord. God is my Savior. She didn't start off saying, oh God, these injustices are so unfair. She didn't start off telling everybody about all the complaints towards God, all the unfairness that she was feeling, all the unfairness that was going on, how difficult all of this has been. People looking down on her, people judging her, people casting this on her and casting that on her. Mary wasn't complaining to God about all that. Mary wasn't saying, oh God, Oh, Lord, I had the dress all picked out, and now I'm going to be pregnant, and I'm going to have to go have that dress altered. She wasn't saying, my boyfriend, God, he's going crazy. He doesn't know what to do. God, I need some help here. She wasn't saying, uh, you know what, my parents, oh, my parents are really concerned right now. They're not sure how we're going to tell Grandma about this. And what's that going to look like in synagogue when we go sit in church? What's that going to look like? I don't know if I'm going to have a husband or not, but everyone's going to know that he's really not the dad. And, oh, it's going to be a real issue, awkward. And just think about this, just, just the fact that, hello, God, I'm a junior high girl. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what to do. How am I going to take care of this? This seems like a big load for me, God. You know what? She wasn't doing that. She wasn't complaining about all the things going on, all the things that were unjust, all the things that were wrong. You know what she's saying? She's saying, God, you are Lord. You are my Savior. And God, whatever you want, that's what I want. You are my Savior, and I know, God, you're going to get me through this because that's what saviors do. Sometimes we don't, well, I just don't like the way he does it. It's like, you know, we're drowning. And God reaches in and he, and he pulls us out by the hair. And we complain because our head hurts. What are you distressed about in your life right now? What is it that's going on that is vying for your attentions right now? Have you worshipped about it? I, I can guarantee you this. You've been worrying about it. Have you worshipped about it? Well, I don't know how you expect me to worship, Pastor Mark, when you don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't want to worship. I don't feel like worshiping right now. I'm not going to worship right now while this thing is going on in my life like this. I, I can't do that. 
Listen, let me tell you, I'm going to give you a, a, one of those Pastor Mark-isms. I'm going to tell you how to get into worship. Okay, Ron, write this down. Are you ready? You worship yourself into worship. For those that write slow, I'm going to say it again, okay? <laughs> you worship yourself into worship. You don't worship because you feel like it. We don't, we don't worship. Listen, you don't worship because you feel like it. You worship until you feel like it. The Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. Well, you know what? You start worshiping him and God will start showing up and you'll start feeling like worshiping him because in the presence of God, what we will want to do more than anything else is worship him. We don't sing because we feel it. We sing until we feel it. We sing until God shows up and we begin to just worship him. Mary's doing this. She's worshiping. Listen, our God is Lord. Our God is Savior. He is in charge. He is the God who knows. He knows everything about you. He loves you. He's going to take care of you. And so she's worshiping here. Amen? Amen. Number four. Not only is he the Lord, the Savior, not only is he omniscient, but God, and I love this. It almost sounds disrespectful, but God is respectful. I love this, because he doesn't have to be. He is. Listen to what he says. He says this to Mary, or Mary says this in a song. From now on, verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Uh, hello, Mary, have you seen your life? Uh, most, in fact, no, no, no one thinks you're blessed. Her life is totally torn apart. And Mary says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. It sure doesn't start that way, does it? In fact, for the next 30 years, she would live with this banner over her life, this banner uh, that people for 30 years would say, oh, she's that, she's that whore. She's that tramp. She's that adulteress. She's that fornicator. All the things that people would say to her. But listen, Mary doesn't have a view of where she's at. Mary has a long view of where she's going. And there's only one way that she could do that. And that is Mary refused to let her reputation become her idol. Look, in this self-centered culture that we live in, how many of us have allowed our reputation to become an idol in our life? Oh, I know. Nobody's going to raise their hand and say, yeah, pastor, that's me. But do you care more about what the people around you think than what God thinks? Do you care more about what people say? And do you let that be something that governs your actions? Because if so, then what you've done is you've made your reputation Lord, and it's an idol. And Mary says, you know what? I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm not going to let my reputation, she let it go. I'm not going to let it be my idol. She says, you know what? Mary says, you know what? My life, I will one day be recognized as a blessed woman. I just have to patiently wait for it. Come on, are you willing to patiently wait for the Lord to create a blessing through your life? And as she patiently waits, I just was thinking about this, and, and, and you, know, you know, you don't see a little girl here that's just kind of down and out, sitting in the back, afraid to speak up, afraid of it. You know what you see is this little girl who's totally dignified. And I realize as I'm reading through that, you know what God did? God gave her her dignity. 
He did. He did this. It's so amazing about God. Most religions don't do that. Most religions or most gods, most goddesses, they strip you of that dignity. They will abuse. They will take. They will demand. They will require. God gives us freely our dignity. God gives freely to us where there are no strings attached. God gives freely to you and I. You know what God did when, with the prodigal son? The prodigal son, and brother, I love it. Brother George was talking about this. And the, the reality of that whole story is the prodigal son, he was coming home. And the father was watching from a long ways off. And when the father saw that son, the father, he hiked up his his outer garment, and he began to run. That was an undignified thing for a man to do. And he ran, and he ran through the town. He ran in front of everybody that was looking at him being undignified. And he ran through town. He ran to the other side of town where he came to his son, and his son said, Dad, I just want to be a servant. And he said, No, I will restore your dignity. And he took the robe, and he placed the family robe over that boy, and he covered up all that pig slime. He covered up all of the filth. He covered up all of the dirt and he gave that boy dignity and he said, you're walking back through town, not as a prodigal but as my son and I will redeem you. Church, it is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. We are filled with pig slot and he gives us back our dignity by covering us with a robe of righteousness, by giving us the signet ring and sandals for our feet. He restores our dignity. God freely gives. And I know that there are some of you here. And some of you here have been, you've been beaten. You've been physically abused. You've been emotionally abused. Verbally abused. There are some of you here, some listening that have been molested. Some of you that have been totally violated. You've been cheated on. Some of you have been abandoned and walked out on. Some of you have been betrayed by people that you should have been able to trust. These are all these ways in which the enemy, this world, wants to rob our dignity. Yet the God of the Bible is a God who's respectful, a God who respects us as people. He gives us back, even when we don't deserve it, he gives us dignity back. And you know how I know that? Because the Bible says that when we give our heart to Christ, when we come to him, he makes us sons and daughters. Oh, he doesn't make us slaves in his kingdom. He makes us sons and daughters and says that in this world, he joins us. We've been adopted into the family of God, the church, the body of Christ. Our God restores our dignity. He restores the dignity of his children. He desires to restore yours. Maybe your dignity has been stolen through the acts of others through the sinful world in which we live, through the things that maybe you've done yourself. It doesn't matter in, in this respect that God wants to restore you, that God wants to come into your life and he wants to make you a son, a daughter. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He came to give you a free gift, the gift of grace. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He comes to restore you. He comes to renew you. He comes to give you dignity. And if that's been stolen from you, there is only one way in this world that you're gonna get that back. You can't earn it. You can't fight for it. You can't be good enough. It will always go with you until the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness. Your own or the ones that have been unrighteously brought as acts against you. He restores you and gives you back your dignity. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. Amen? Amen. Number, number five, God is mighty. She says this in verse 49. She says, he who is mighty. When she says he who is mighty, do you believe that? Come on, do you believe God is mighty? Yes. 
God mighty or is God almighty? Listen, if in your heart, you know, we, we, many of us, we believe that God is mighty. We believe that God is mighty. God is, he created the world. He spoke it into existence. He created the universe. He put the stars in place. He put order to it all. We believe that he's that mighty. But we don't all believe that he's mighty enough to deal with the things in my life. Okay, he's mighty, but I don't know that he's that mighty. He, he can put the spanses of the universe out there and he can go to the very depths of the ocean and create it all. Yet, I don't know if he can deal with my financial difficulty. I don't know if he can deal with my emotions. I don't know if he can deal with my depression. I don't know. Listen, do you believe that God is mighty? Doesn't mean, listen, to believe that God is mighty doesn't mean that we conjure up in our mind where everything is going to just fit into place, everything is just going to go perfect, everything's going to go easy, that everything's going to go our way, everyone's going to get a trophy, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> it doesn't mean everything's going to work out fair. It doesn't mean that we're, if we just continue to say happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, that everything's going to just be happy. To know that God is mighty, it means that we know that no one and no thing can stop God. Nothing can stop him. He is almighty. It can't, there's Satan, the demons, sin, suffering, circumstances. They can't stop my God. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is the almighty creator of everything. He is the almighty one who speaks and things come into existence. And he is my God. My God is mighty. And my God can do great things. Listen, if you believe that, you would spend a whole lot less time worrying and a whole lot more time worshiping. And last thing I want to point out for today. See, Mary, she's teaching us some stuff today, isn't she? I love this. God is personal. He's personal. She says in verse 49, he who has done great things for Israel. He who has done great things for men. He who has done great things for you. It's not what she says, is it? He who has done great things for me. In the midst of everything that she was going on, how can she say that? How can she say that? He who's done great things for me. Mary knew this to be her truth, though. Church, is that your truth? Has he done great things for you? Can you say that? I mean, just without even a second thought, oh, my God has done great things for me. See, we want to be able to say that, but so many, we, we struggle with prayer. We, we struggle with, with going, I don't know what to say. I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, we struggle with worship. You know, I, I watch people, they'll sit in the back or they'll, they'll cross their arms and they won't let a word come out of their mouth. And they struggle with worship. Not that you can't worship that way, please. You can worship in any way. I, there can be the person in the back with his arms crossed and, 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 and singing you know, in his own heart can be just as worshipful as the person dancing up front. I'm not talking about the action. I'm talking about the heart that's dictating the action. The heart that says... Even though I'm most comfortable sitting in the back, if God lays it on my heart, I will dance like David danced. I just think David, man, was this, a crazy worshiper. David danced. I mean, dance like, you know, I almost see sometimes I, I think, you know, David was like, like dancing like people in a mosh pit dance. 
I mean, he was dancing so crazy that even his wife was embarrassed of him. How many of you have done that? That's what God called David to do. That's how David was called to worship. It's what God was asking of him. But so many people today, we, and there's people here, please, I understand, but I don't want it to stay that way. People that struggle with prayer, struggle with worship, we struggle celebrating God. We, you know why we struggle celebrating God? Because we don't know what to celebrate. We just don't know. We, we just don't know because we don't recognize all the things that God has done. And the reason that we don't recognize all the things as believers, why we don't recognize all the things that God has done is because we're spending all of our time focusing on all the things that God hasn't done. We allow ourselves to creep into a bottom-up approach where we begin to look at all the things that God hasn't done, all the things that God, and then we start to doubt his might. We start to doubt his love. We start to doubt his grace. We start to doubt his abilities, and we just begin to cast all those things onto God, and pretty soon, we have nothing to celebrate. We don't see what God has done. All we see is all the things that God hasn't done, and when all we see are the things that God hasn't done, we have absolutely no God to worship. And I'm going to give you another secret. As the, and again, this is something that in my life has been huge. It's made one of the biggest things that I've ever done to, as an impact in my own life. To help me personally get to this place where I could recognize all that God is doing before I recognize all the things that he's not. And church, this is it. Journaling. Oh, I don't do a good job at it. You know, it's kind of like I, I joked with Joni. You know what? We have a budget. I'm just not good at it. But we still have a budget. Thank God she's good at it. But even though I don't feel like I do it well, we're still financially head and shoulders above because we're doing something. Come on, amen. <laughs> All of you that don't do a budget had a hard time saying amen right there. <laughs> I, um, sometimes I don't journal. Sometimes I just sit back and I, and I remember. I just will, you know, the Bible says to be still and know that I am God. You know, how many of you have a regular practice of just being still? I mean, we, we can't hardly stand, I mean, quiet. Be still. Take the time to meditate on all that God has done, to meditate on the things that have gone on in your life, to meditate on how God's grace has impacted your life in the week. I, I try, I've got a file on my iPad, and I, I try to go in, and I try to write those things down. I, again, I don't always do good at it, but what I do try to do is I do try to stop every week and just stop and sit down and take the time to remember, to be still, to find a quiet place on a Monday or a Tuesday, and just to sit back and to give thanks to God. God, I thank you for all the things that you've done. God, bring to remembrance the things that you have done. Help me, Lord God, to see your grace in my life. I try every week to say, ask the Lord, God, reveal to me what are the evidences of God's grace at work that I've seen recently. To take down those things and to write those things down. To write them down in such a way that, honestly, they become part of our remembrance. To make it a point. To sit back and to remember what evidences of God's grace have you seen in your life this week. I promise you, I promise you, there's not one person in this place that does not have evidences of God's grace in their life this week. The problem is not the existence of God's grace in your life. It's the, it's the revelation of it to us. We don't see it. And the reason we don't see it is because we don't stop and take time to look for it. And so what happens when I stop and I, and I begin to write? What happens when I start to think? What happens when I start to meditate? And I, and I say, Holy Spirit, I just want you right now to begin to reveal to me all of the places where the grace of God is working in my life this week. Just begin to show me these things. And you know what happens? It's never not worked. You know what happens? He does it. 
he starts to show me stuff. And, and as he starts to show me stuff, and he starts to remind me of the different things, you know what happens in me? My heart starts changing. And all of a sudden, I want to sing. I want to worship him because I'm so grateful. I've got so much love for him. I've got so much thanksgiving for him. I want to honor him. I want to give exalt him. I thank him for all that he's done because he starts revealing all these things. And I'm like, oh, oh man, oh, God, you're right. I didn't, oh, man, God, I just looked right past that. I didn't even notice you at work in that. Oh, God, thank you for doing that. Thank, oh, I didn't even realize that. God, and, and all of a sudden, the list starts to grow. The list starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And the longer I do it, you know what? The longer the list goes on. Church, I believe that we could sit down and we could go on forever and ever seeing all the places, all the times that God's grace has impacted our lives and giving us evidence of his provision, of his power, of his love in our lives. The longer I do that, the longer the list becomes of all the ways he has done great things for me. It's personal. Worship team, would you come back up? You know, I am sure in this place today, there are some of you that come in and, and you are struggling right now. You're struggling with, with despair. You, maybe you're struggling with discouragement. You're struggling with some family issues. Or you're, you're, maybe you're walking in a, in a place where you're just being overwhelmed with depression right now. I want to give you something that will help you. Keep a journal. Start to write down. Take time to remember, to meditate on all of the evidences of God's grace in your life. But you got to do it. I don't feel like it. Exactly. The enemy wants to keep you from starting. I don't worry. The Holy Spirit will finish it. He'll, he will. He'll come in and show you. You just begin to do that, begin to see all these evidences of God's grace and begin to mark it down to remember so that like Mary, you can say, he has done great things for me. Not because I deserve it, not because I'm so good, don't take me wrong here, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. It has everything to do with his goodness. It has everything to do with his grace. It has everything to do with his mercy. It has everything to do with his love for you, his care for you as a father. It's because of him that he does good things for you. Look, let me just ask you, what has he forgiven you of? What, what is it that, that he's been teaching you? What has he been showing you? What has he been revealing to your heart? What, how is he changing you? How is it that he's making you into a, a new man, a new creation? How, how has he been working in you? What are the opportunities? What are the things? Who are the people that he's put in front of you? What are the circumstances that he saved you from? Look, we got to stop complaining about how God saved us and start giving thanks that he did. What has he saved you from? What has he saved you out of? And what is he calling you to? Do you know that God, the God that we're talking about, the God that Mary's describing in this song, is the God who says over your life, individually, over your life, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. 
He has plans for you. Do you know that in front of you, God has placed a thing called tomorrow, and he has a plan in tomorrow for you. And after that, and after that, and every day that he gives you breath, your God, your Father, the God who does great things for you, for me, he is the God who knows the plans that he has for your tomorrows. Therefore, you can look into them, and you can begin to say, God, I don't know the specifics, but I know this is going to be good. You know what? Your whole life would change if you started doing this. If you were the one who was seeking, you were the one who was recording, you were the one who was remembering all of the evidences of God's grace in your life, all of the wonderful things that he has done great things for me, if that was your statement, that's when he's a personal God and it will change who you are, which will change what you do. Right now, I mean, I'm, I tell you, I'm, what I'm sharing with you will change your life. But you won't want your life changed if your life is your idol. You need to write that down. Last night I came down here and um, I put these cards in the seat backs. Put enough in there for everybody. I want you to take one of these out right now. I know you guys don't have any. I want you to take them out. And I want you right now, you can take out your phone, take out your iPad. If you got a notebook that you bring with you, you can take that out too. I don't care what you use. But I want you right now to take that card, to take whatever it is and however you're doing this, and I want you right now to write down, to take a look at three of the things, three graces that God has provided in your life. How has God evidenced his grace in my life this week? Come on, get your eyes off the problems, off all the stuff. And how has God shown you his goodness? How has God revealed his power? What has God done to show you a son, a daughter that he loves you? Holy Spirit, bring the revelation to each and every mind. Help us to see, Lord, how you have been good in a different way in every different life that's here today. That, God, you, you revealed yourself to each one in personal and intimate ways. Oh, God, you are Lord. You are Savior. That is who you are. You're omniscient, you're respectful, you're powerful, you're personal. Just thank him. was redeemed only beauty remains Sing that, that last course my orphan heart was given a name my morning grew quiet my feet rose to dance when death was arrested my life began listen to oh, me your grace listen to this
chains, I'm a prisoner no more. Shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. Come on, sing it out. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace. is over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your opportunity in each and every day to remember the goodness of God, to be remembered, uh, to remember the things that he's talking about. It'll only happen though as we take a position of a top-down approach to see God as he is, not as we make him out to be, but to see him as he truly is and begin to live our life in light of that. Church, I want you to know I love you. I pray God's very best for you. I know that God is the very best for you. And so as you go, go be God's best. Go be what God has called you to be. Go do what the all-powerful, almighty God has called you to do. Go live the life that God set you free to live. Go. Go be the church. Amen? I love you. Don't forget, get plugged into a life group. Share your life with others because others may need you. Amen? Come on, let's sing this as we go. A Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as the heaven.